How many of you grew up in BC? How many of you did? Okay, how many of you then that grew up in BC, have you made your way out of BC? Yeah, how many of you have never been out of BC? <laughs> what? Serious? Wow, you, you don't know what you're missing in the prairies, right? Amen? Karen, Shaw, come on. Thank you. Well, you, you guys, I grew up in the, the, the beauty of southern Manitoba, and then I went to college in uh, close to Speedy Creek, Swift Current, but outside of it. So Speedy Creek's kind of a hick town compared to here, and then Pambrin is just like, if you took away the Bible college, all you'd see is tumbleweeds. So there I was, and uh, I was asked to help represent Miller College of the Bible at this missions fest that we have in this area, all right? So there I was, and I remember it was a very snowy year, and the first part coming through Medicine Hat and all that, those are my kind of roads, but then we start coming into the mountainous regions of BC, and it was crazy, a white-knuckle drive. And then when we got on the Coke, the Coke was a crazy snowy year, so actually I do remember that there were walls of snow when we were driving that high elevation on the Coquihalla. We finally came into the lower mainland and I had no idea where Vancouver was because it started, first of all, with Hope and then Chilliwack and then all that other stuff. I did, how, do you, how can you tell one city from the next, says the hick boy, right? But I seriously had no idea and somebody had to say, well, pretty much when you see different high rises, that's another city. Okay, good. Well, I get over to Vancouver and I just couldn't believe it and it was one of those scary times and at this time, we still didn't have GPSs so you actually have to know what you're doing. We finally get downtown to Missions Fest, and it's kind of exciting. It's full of thousands and thousands of people. It's finally lunchtime, and we get out on the street, and we make our way across the street, and we're walking, and all of a sudden, we come to one crosswalk, and there's a guy with a flag, and he's got kind of Britney Spears thing like I do today, huh? and he stops all of us. He's got the red, uh, red going on, so he stops us all. You're just going to have to wait here for a moment, folks. Uh, we just got a little bit of action going on over here. And then all of us, oh, what's going on? What's going on? Well, we're actually filming. Oh, really? Well, you know, we're asking all these questions. And he's just doing this, and he's, what's that? Okay, yeah. Okay, folks, there just might be, boom! Dudes, my, my chest, you know, like on the movies. And there was glass flying everywhere. And the guy that stopped us just said, way too big. Way too big. So they were doing the simulated explosion in this building, and it was blowing windows apart in the next building over. It was awesome. I bet you the Vought household has done there and felt that before. 
If you have no idea what I'm talking about, ask Joe and Eric. I tell you, they got a book. But yeah, my, it was unbelievable, the power. And if you've never been around an explosion like that, it's hard to describe where your chest actually shakes from this explosion uh, in downtown Vancouver. I couldn't believe it. And I think this is a, just a wee bit of a taste of the power that's represented because here we give our lives to Christ and then we're supposed to apparently submit and we struggle with giving up sin and we struggle with being better and we do this and that and we try it on our own power. But when I read today's scripture, it seems as though one of the things that we're supposed to do is keep our eyes focused and then the power of Christ will indwell us. And as we submit and keep ourselves focused, he will give us the power to live Life for him in this place that we call earth. So that's where we're going today. Let's pray about that. Folk, dear Lord, I thank you for these folks in front of me. And I just ask that like me, uh, I'm sure they have a, an appetite to know you more, an appetite to love earth less, an appetite to think more about glory, an appetite more to think more about what the Lord Jesus Christ has done in our lives, more about security in Christ, less about worry about earthly stuff. You know, last week, Lord, we talked about making things count, and we looked about living for today. And today, Lord Jesus, we want to go to the same passage and a bit further and just see, Lord, that you're actually even calling us to live in power today, that somehow we don't just have to look to our deathbed experience or when we actually cross over and our life here is over. But Lord, even now it seems that you have given us power to live day by day, explosive TNT kind of power. So Lord, I think all of us, when we're honest, we want to tap into that. So help us to figure that out. Help us, Lord, to know how to walk with you in this power. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, Philippians chapter 3. We're going to go back to the same passage we were last week, but we're going to keep going a little bit further. So Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12, all the way to verse 21. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Make an account, your future starts now. Now, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, Paul says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Think about that language. I press on to take hold of, so he, here he is in this athletic picture and he's trying to grab for Christ the way that Christ grabbed him. So he's been grabbed already, now he's just trying to grab back and hold on. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, he says as a pit bull, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And there's verse 15. Here we go. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Verse 16 is a clincher. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. That's a lovely verse, 
but it's kind of a haunting verse, isn't it? Because let's even boil it down even into our marriages. If you would just simply treat your spouse the way that you know that you're supposed to treat your spouse. Being a, a premarital counselor is lame sometimes because there's times I'm on my way to give premarital advice and all that stuff. And right on the way there, me and my wife have a fight on the way there. It's the worst. Okay, now let's just get it together so that we can help these poor young people. Okay, you know. Hi, you know, it's the worst. But (laughs) it's always my fault, let the record show. Um, But only let us live up to what we obtained. Imagine if we can, all the things that are in your cranium, all the things that you know in your heart, if you can just live up to that stuff, that'd be awesome. And here, Paul is saying the same thing. Those who are mature, those who are perfect, teleos, those who are moving forward with Christ, live up to what you have already obtained. That's hard. Verse 17, join together in following my example, Paul says, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Listen to this. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship, our citizenship's in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. So let me just read that again. And I want you, again, what we did last week, a little mental exercise. We always think that Paul, oh, yeah, he's got great doctrine and stuff. And sometimes we look at him as more of a, uh, almost an um, unapproachable teacher that would just sound doctrine. Here, I think we see his heart again. He says, you guys, their, their mind is set on earthly things, but our our our." Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly, we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies that we will be like his glorious body. So the first thing I want you to see here is living up to what we already know. He's calling us to maturity. He's calling us to maturity. This is really easy to take a kind of the crisis of faith or the crisis of when you look back to whatever day that was when you received Christ and you think it's all over. Boom, I'm good because I asked Jesus Christ into my heart or into my life. That is not the call to discipleship at all. In fact, if that's what it was presented to you, sadly, that's just a portion of it. Many of us can't even remember the day that God grabbed us, but it's really important here that we don't just look back to a day, but that we have a continually maturing walk with Jesus Christ. And if you don't quite have that view, Paul says, well, if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. That too God will make clear to you. I want you to see here, Paul cherished the cross. We don't use that word anymore, do we? Cherish. What is that word? We cherish something. We love something. We hold on to something. 
Like, I, I just think of that, and I think it's a bit of a lost ark today because if something busts these days and everything's made to break, everything's made to tarnish, everything, you know. But in the old days, there's some stuff that, like when I talk about to my mom, but what she used to get for Christmas, she got one of these pencils that when this one gets dull, you take it out from the front and you put it in the back. Remember those things? And that was one of her only, if not the only, it was one of her only Christmas gifts. Well, my kids rub that pencil and they chew off their erasers and they break their pencils. I'm going, come on! And I have to tell them the story about mom, right? But there was stuff, even stuff that we go, huh? That my mother would cherish because that's all she got. What do we have that we actually cherish these days? Might be a lost art. Paul cherished the cross. When he thought about what happened there, when he thought about he was the one pursuing these people to bring them to jail and to kill them, now I'm sure when he looked up at the cross, a tear would come in his eye, and he just cherished what happened there. He saw that what happened there was really quite unjust. Justice happened because the perfect Lamb of God died on the cross to pay the price that you owed, that I owed, not that Christ owed. And a tear fell. Paul cherished the cross. And I think from here, somebody else even gathered, that for him, the fact that false teachers that he was talking to here, it kind of revealed that they were false teachers because they did not cherish the cross. So here we had people that kind of liked the idea of Jesus, kind of liked the principles that come around following Jesus Christ. But let's not forget this over here. Let's not forget this part of the religion. Let's not forget about uh, all the law. Let's, bring the, let's make kind of our own religious. You know what I'm saying? And that still happens today, doesn't it? We see a world full of Jesus plus. Jesus plus. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. That's it. Paul cherished the cross. <clears throat> Malik points out, a commentator points out, that the strong emotion paralyzes the emotion of Romans chapter 9, verse 1 to 3, where Paul prayed that he would be anathema for his kinsmen. What does that mean, anathema? That he would be destroyed, that he would give up his life, that he would rather go to hell than to see his brothers and sisters go to that place. This is the passion that we see with Paul. He cherishes the cross, and in his prayers, he just wishes he could give up himself so that others could come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul prayed that he could be anathema for his kinsmen. Apparently, these teachers were were his own people who would have accepted the Messiah, but they chose instead to hinder the truth wherever they could. So we're talking that he was speaking here to false teachers who actually organized themselves to actively oppose the gospel. You guys, just like we saw at Christmas, Jesus Christ was happening a couple miles down the road, and they had the scriptures, they had the prophets, and it was the pagans that came or the people that didn't know Christ, the guys that are looking up in the sky, looking at stars. Those are the guys that came and worshipped Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, the teachers of the law just sat right over there. This is also something that we need to be really aware of. 
to become comfortable to the point of, yeah, I heard that, been there, done that. That's a scary place to be. And here, Paul is anything but that. I cherish the cross. I love it. And I want to encourage you people, I don't know, 55 and under, hang out with some of our folks 55 and over. Because, it's again, it's one of those lost arts and lots of our folks that are on the twilight of life, shall we say, they have tasted and they have seen that the Lord is good. They're worth going to coffee with. They can give testimony that the Lord is good and how to cherish Him. When you think of it, when you cherish the cross and when you cherish Jesus Christ, it pushes you to want more of God. So maybe there's a little mirror for you. If in your heart, I'm not saying that you're having devotions every day or whatever. I'm saying right now, in the heart of hearts of who you are, is there something in you that you cherish the cross and you cherish what Christ has done so much that you want more of God? Is that the position of your heart, the disposition? I know there's more than this. I feel that sometimes. Sometimes I'm driving, life is great. But, once in a while, I'm so disappointed because I just know there's more to life than this. I look around. We live in an area of prosperity. Lots of stuff here. Lots of beautiful houses. Lots of people that look like they have it all together. Fancy cars. There was a Rolls Royce the other day at Wairau Christian Academy. I'm going, huh? I took notice, definitely. But is that it? And in my heart of hearts, I know there's more. There's more. And this is kind of the emotion that he's giving. He cherishes the cross. So, you guys, if we cherish the cross, if we cherish Jesus Christ, that's going to push us, pull, push, pull, drag, whatever, us to a relationship to know God more. And then verse 17, let me read that for you again. In verse 17, it says this. I have the driest hands in the world. So I can't, okay, here we go. Verse 17 says this. Join together in following my example, Paul says, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as your model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. You know how hard this is? Sky Jethani says that it's known that a fact is that most of us, a huge percentage of us, Within the first 15 minutes of getting up, the first thing we do is we look at our phones. There's a big temptation for me. I always check the news. I, I, I don't have a newspaper out there, so I just check my phone and I whip over to the news. Right? So the first thing I do is I expose myself to everybody else's opinion, but am I exposing myself to God's opinion of me? And here, in verse 17, it seems as though he was saying, keep your eyes focused on me. And that's putting, that's not being cocky. That's putting a lot of pressure on himself because he cherishes Christ and he wants to live in such a way that he can say, go ahead, you can follow my example. And he says, and follow the example of those who live as we do. So there's so many things to focus on in this life and he's bidding us to come on. When you have a mature view of Christ, make sure that you keep your eyes focused on Jesus Christ and on those that are also maturing. 
So to me, I've got to say it, that it's screaming out that it makes absolutely no sense that you can keep skipping church. Go to church. You got to. I know, I know that uh, we can connect with God everywhere. I know, I know, I know, I know. But at the end of the day, I know that I'm a human. And if I just hang out with myself, yikes. I need to hang out with people that push me and pull me. A lot of people are like files. They, they, they file off the burrs that I got. And I think I'm a bird of some of you. So I'm, I'm used <laughs> to the glory of God to, to make you uncomfortable. And the, it just, you know, and we also provide examples. We also provide testimony. And we also provide encouragement. We provide prayer. We provide friendship that we can all draw closer to the cross of Jesus Christ, to Christ himself to the potential that God has for us. It doesn't make sense for us to be skipping. And here he says, when you cherish the cross, it'll push you to want to know God more. And when you cherish the cross, in verse 17, it'll push us to cherish relationships with those around us. Follow my example, he says. Keep your eyes on those strongly urging us to be in relationship with one another, reminding us not to forsake getting together not to forget or forsake the getting together of the saints. Reminds you kind of Matthew, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Very important stuff. So right, right off the bat, we see that, are we maturing? Are we living up to what we already know? And, but secondly, there's a ton of distractions. There's a ton of enemies of what is good. There's a ton of enemies of, of godly stuff. So there's great models and there's very poor models. And here he gives another great uh, example in what we've read this morning already is he talks about their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame, their mind is set on earthly things. So who is he talking about here? People that are just messing with the truth, people that are trying to convince all of you to say Jesus plus. And here he's saying that what characterizes these people is their destiny is destruction okay their enemies they live as enemies of the cross destiny is destruction their god is their stomach number one their glory is in their shame number two and their mind is set on earthly stuff there's a nice outline for you so their god is their stomach so basically any kind of earthly appetite it's all about me like the Nemo thing with the seagulls. Mine, mine, mine. And that's exactly what he's talking about here. Their God is their stomach or their glory is in their shame. So really what he's pointing toward is they are actually twisting what we see in some of the didactic passages of the New Testament is they're basically taking good and turning it and calling it bad and taking bad and turning it and calling it good. Isn't that happening today in our culture? Like, holy smokes, being a dad... I, I sometimes, I got to go to God and just rest in him because I just go, God, how am I supposed to bring up this little girl? Things are getting so messed up in the music, in what we thought was totally bad. Now it's okay. It, it scares me. But at the same time, I also don't want to come across as some prude as to my kid. Like, no, no, a good Christian doesn't do that, doesn't do this, does, doesn't smoke, drink or chew, goes, girls do. You know what I'm saying? But that's how sometimes we react. We talked about it around Christmas. 
with Sky Jathani's whole view of how do we present God or how's our relationship with God, we often res- respond uh, to fear. There's so much going on. We don't know how to raise our kids. Our marriage is falling apart, whatever. So then what do we do? We control. And here, I think he's saying, cherish me. Cherish Jesus. Lean into me. Lean into me. Their God is their stomach, so they serve themselves. Their glory is in their shame. We're talking a Romans 1 kind of thing where they, they open Pandora's box and they jump right in and all of a sudden you don't know anymore what's right and what's wrong. You don't know. I've had that chat with many folks, including my kid, just saying, keep that box shut because the way the devil works, you open Pandora's box and, oh, man, he's never satisfied with your little finger. But it's hard to convince youth of that these days. They, they want to go with their friends and stuff, and all of a sudden, they're jumping into Pandora's box. Very important. Romans 1 and Psalm 1 talk about the slippery slope. The slippery slope of sin and how we get sucked in. It also says that their mind is set on earthly stuff, on earthly things. What do you think are some earthly things that trip people up? So I'm not going to take it that it's an example of you, but throw out a couple of those. What are some things, what are some earthly things that trip people up? Quickly, what do you think? Cell phones. Huh? Write that down. Money. TV. Music. Social media. Something's cooking. Work. Work. Peer pressure. pressure. Stuff. Stuff. Yeah. Starts with S, ends with X. <laughs> I'm being recorded. <laughs> uh, it's true. Alcohol, the abuse of alcohol, drugs. Oh, pot, it's going to be legalized. Oh, it's fine and dandy. Uh. Yeah. So you get the picture, success, money, popular opinion, my rights. In fact, I was watching some good video, and one of the problems with a lot of our marriages is that we're, we buy into what the world tells us, and we stick up for my rights. I deserve this. How many times throughout the week, oh, oh, you know what, you, you should go on that Maui vacation. You deserve it. Oh, yeah. you know, just go. Don't say stuff like that, you know. But what is that? What happens to all our beautiful brothers and sisters all around the world that have to work 24-7, seven days a week, and they never get a weekend, never mind a Maui vacation? Right? Don't say stuff like that. So what are the things that so easily entangle us? Hebrews makes it clear that we should cast off the sin and the distractions that so easily entangle us and trip us up so then we can run the race marked out for us. Matthew 6 says, don't value the temporal or the, um, don't value the temporal, um, 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So our passage today isn't saying you better not make money or you better give it all all away today because then I'll sit at the back there and I'll receive it for you. But it's not saying that, but we're talking the love of money or when you're focusing on this stuff, when it actually becomes the God of your stomach, shall we say, or the, the very central of who you are, you focus on this stuff. In fact, I've asked my question, this question to my wife. I asked it last night. Do we have too much stuff so that if God actually called us somewhere, we would have a bugger of a time moving because I got so much stuff to get rid of and I'm attached to way too much of it. I mean, I think I used to have a secretary that even hesitated to buy a brand new couch just in case the Lord was going to call her to the mission field. I was just like, that's awesome! It's freedom, that's right. That's right. So let's be honest. What are some of our distractions and what, are, what limits you from being content and cherishing Jesus? So number three is, how do we do this? So here the preacher's gabbing on and he's gonna, now he's going to pray and we're going to walk out with all these thoughts, but we don't know how to do this. Okay, so how do we live up to all that we know? How do we stay focused? Or let's just check out verse 20 to 21 on this one. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power, by the TNT, that enables him to bring everything under his control, he will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. He says pretty much, remember where you belong. Remember where you're from. Remember where you're from. And this is interesting because actually just lately, Trudeau uh, chose two different guys that are going to represent uh, Canada in different countries and it was interesting to read but these are guys that he has known as a family friend for a long time people that he trusts and they're representing our prime minister in a different land to me that sounds pretty smart and that's really what's going on here too in our citizenship so Philippi this is where he's writing Philippines um, uh, Philippines I mean Philippi was an outpost colony the people of Philippi were living there as colonists while their citizenship was in Rome. Okay? So they were actually Romans in an outpost in Philippi. Similarly, Christians living here on earth have their citizenship in heaven. So it's very, we're in an outpost right now. This is so hard to grasp sometimes because this is all we know in a way. And it's very comfortable, shall we say. But we actually belong, we are citizens, we are daughters and sons of the Most High King, we are heavenly people that right now are walking this earth. This contrasts so much in verse 19, whose minds are exclusively on earthly things. So the believer looks with keen anticipation for a Savior's return from heaven, eagerly away translates a a, a Greek word that suggests a tiptoe anticipation and longing. 
A while ago, I said something to my kid. Caden's a lot of fun. And Caden, you tell him something, hey, we're going to Star Wars. It, it, can, it, it actually transforms into his whole body. What? I can't even do it, but clenched fist, teeth broken probably from biting him hard. And his whole body shakes with anticipation. And that's pretty much what he's saying here, right? They, eager, they eagerly await. They can hardly wait. Like tiptoe, you're looking out the window and you're stretching as hard as you can to look out the window with anticipation that Jesus Christ is coming back. And he's coming soon. So now, going back to a, a book that's called Futurama. All this hope that we have, all this citizenship that we know, but he says, now live up to what you have already attained. So I'm telling you today that you don't belong here, you do belong in heaven, and you're just here for a while. Bam, now you have more information. Shoot, you have more to live up to this week. Okay, so you have more to live up to this week. So Sky Jathani in this book called Futureville, he says, how we interpret our present suffering and our work and our purpose, even our relationships, is by, defined by how we think about what lies ahead. The choices we make, the values that guide us, the work that we pursue, and the people we become are all shaped by the way we think about the future. So he goes on, Later on in the book, he says, Our cynicism has made us resistant to hope, yet we remain fearful of living insignificant lives. This blew my mind when I read this. Because you watch, you know, like Amy too. Amy and her age group, they are fantastic at getting out there, serving and doing all sorts of different experiences. But I think sometimes what drives us, I know even for myself what drives me, is I'm so scared of being insignificant. I don't want to not count. But hope has often been raped and stripped from our young people, even when it comes to politics. We watch people gum and gab on political platforms, and they're just lying. We've seen political guys, they gum and gab about what did really happen, and you know they're lying through their teeth. We've seen that even in the church many Pastors have fallen to all sorts of stuff like the love of money or immorality, whatever. And so much of our hopes have been dashed. It's hard to hold out hope. So he says, our cynicism has made us resistant to hope, yet we remain fearful of living insignificant lives. So I'm going to, here's an illustration, and don't throw fruit at me if you don't like it. But to me, the, the elections of this, this last election was really interesting to me because here we had, especially when we, it was, became visible that it was between the conservatives and the liberals and all of a sudden everybody ganged up on the conservatives and they were uh, spray painting the conservative posters, putting Stop Harper everywhere. And I was, I was interested in that. So I would actually go to random people sometimes and say, so I honestly just, as just a guy, how come you hate Harper so much? And oftentimes they had no clue, but they were going with the whole, because everybody's supposed to hate Harper, okay? Now, don't throw fruit, okay? What I'm saying is as I watched social media, as I listened to what was going on, I think one of the things that happened is 
I'm almost feeling like in today's day and age, the conservatives beat themselves. And this is what I mean. When you think about the platform that the conservatives presented themselves on, you had the liberals just simply having to go up there and say, change. 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 And everybody's, yes. And what was happening is, it seemed to me like I was often listening to some conservative people. I'm not saying conservatives stand up for this, but I'm just saying some conservative people were like feeling like the power was slipping out. And then all of a sudden, uh, there was different advertisements for, you know, that they called fear-mongering and all that stuff. Do you, you know what I'm saying? So it felt like all of a sudden, conservatives had been painted, the picture had been painted that they're fear-mongering and it's just like negative and holding on. Let's control because what's happening in the economy. Let's control with all these Syrian refugees. Let's control, control. And to me, I don't know, the liberals are pretty smart and just saying, we're going to let a whole bunch of, uh, uh, of Syrian refugees come in. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to, you know. And you know what? I read this article and it had all sorts of facts. And at the end of the day, it said, I think the Canadian people just need a hug. Huh? The Canadian people just need a hug. And in a way, I just smiled and I said, I think so. Because, I mean, who do you want to hug? Harper or, or Trudeau? Trudeau's good looking. He's got nice hair and stuff. I want to give that guy a hug. Harper's, come on, man. So I'm not taking any political stance, but I'm just saying it's just interesting how they presented their platforms. You know how important this is? As Christians, you might be going, this scares me. I hate what's going on. I don't like it that my kid's going to SFU. I don't like this. I don't like that. And all of a sudden, you just look like, yes, I'm a Christian. And you need Jesus too, because I've never experienced more hope. Love it, right? And that's, that's, the, that's the temptation, because it is scary. It is scary. But it's unattractive. So I'm not saying that we need to fake our ways. I'm saying that we need to rethink that if our hope is in glory... And if we're talking what Paul says, I just cherish Jesus. Is there not a way to cherish Jesus and not just be prickly to everybody else around you? Calvin Miller, I'll stop with this, but Calvin Miller wrote a fantastic book, Into the Depths of of God. And he talks about why do we advertise Christianity like a big old fat stop sign? Everything's about stop. When you listen to people, even give their testimonies, I used to do this, I used to do that, but then I stopped. Or now you talk to somebody that's struggling, I just need to stop. If I could only give this up. So Christianity's all about quitting. It's all about quitting. And he was saying, what if we would switch it up? Like, like on a car, for instance, the brake pedal's this big. Right? This big. The steering wheel's this big. Would it make sense then to put a big old brake in a car, just a ginormous brake, and the steering wheel this big? No, right? But we do that in Christianity. So he's saying, why don't we stop, or why don't we change it up and no longer just define ourselves by what we don't do or what we want to stop, 
Instead of when we look at Christians and go, oh, there's the stop sign, why don't we rather advertise ourselves as steering wheels, steering systems? We focus our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We look toward the cross. We cherish the cross. We cherish where we're from. We cherish where we're going. And then all of a sudden, as you're driving along, pursuing Christ, you, over here you have the rear view mirror, and you look up and you go, oh, I used, to, I used to be entangled in that garbage. That used to really hold me back. I can't believe I used to treat my wife that way. But you're not looking back or you're not breaking and looking at it and assessing the whole thing. You're moving toward what is ahead in Christ Jesus. And some of the stuff, all of a sudden you look in your rear view mirror and it's behind there because you're pursuing Christ. You're leaning into Christ. You're leaning into what is good. You're coming to church. You're in small groups. You're rubbing off on each other. You're helping each other in your marriages, in your parenting, in living life, in your jobs, in your attitude toward life, in your attitude toward politics, blah, blah, blah. It's a big difference. So no more big old brake pedals. But how about a steering wheel? And let's steer our way this year into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Folks, let's make a count. Your future starts now. And one thing I hope you take away from the sermon today is your future starts now. And one of the major ways you're going to do that is by learning how to cherish the cross and cherish Jesus Christ. Lord, help us with that. Help. Help us to cherish what you have done and help us to cherish that you have gone on already and are preparing for us a place. Thank you for that hope. Thank you for what happened on the cross. Thank you for new life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.